Hello and welcome to With This Book We Can. I'm Lynette Barker. And I'm Kerry Gittens. We are teacher librarians passionate about literature and how to bring stories to life in the classroom. Uh, we acknowledge the first peoples of Australia as the first storytellers. Your stories and experiences are the heart of this country. In particular, we would like to acknowledge the Awabakal people, the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording today. Now, Lynette and I have a very exciting guest. It's our very first author phone in today with the amazing Katrina Nanestead and I'll just give you a little bit of background on Katrina before we continue. Um, she's an award-winning Australian author. She's written numerous books. Um, she's got two books in the notable list for this year. One of them is uh, her number four travelling bookshop which is Mim and the Disastrous Dog Show and the other one is the one that we did our um, previous podcast on which was Waiting for the Storks. So thank you so much, Katrina, for agreeing to come into our podcast today. We really appreciate it. And we will start off with the first question if you're ready. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me here too. I appreciate you inviting me on. So our first, well, it's our pleasure. Um, and our first question is, uh, what got you started as a writer? It's always interesting because I often think it's not, a moment that we can pinpoint those sorts of things to. And in fact, <laughs> I'm probably not a typical writer in that I didn't like reading and writing as a child. I think just about every other writer I've ever heard speak to an audience says they were passionate about reading and writing from a really young age. But I actually found books quite boring as a child. I think I was shown incredibly boring books. I'm sure there were some great ones there, but I wasn't shown any that appealed to me. Um, and what I really liked was playing outside and doing wild things and reading comics. <laughs> so it wasn't really a great start for a writer, I don't suppose. But I think in my teenage years, I found my way to some stories that I did start to enjoy, like um, they are Tolkien and some war stories, some adult war stories. But really, I think a, a key moment for me was in year 11 and 12 at school when I had a really fabulous English teacher. And up until that time, I'd been really more interested in science and maths. But this teacher was so passionate about literature that I caught her enthusiasm. You know, she loved plays and poems and stories and reading and writing. And I just I just caught that and really began to love literature. Um, so much so that I went on for university to study literature for three years. Um, but I did become a primary school teacher then. And every time, my every day, my favourite part of the day was reading stories with children. <laughs> and I really loved I just found I really loved that magic of diving together as a class into the world of the book. And then when I had my own children, two little boys, my favourite part of every day again was reading stories, you know, diving into that new world of the story. And I think it was probably about the time when my children were little that I really started to think seriously about writing children's books myself. I think it came from... The fact that I loved creating things anyway, but also I just really thought it would be fun to be part of creating that story magic. And of course, I believe stories and literature are so important for children anyway. It just just feels like a really exciting, precious thing to be involved in. That's so interesting because I have hearing you speak about being a teacher. I now can see why this book connects so well with children because you truly know the heart of a child. And I'll be honest, I have always steered away from books to do with war because I 
feel like there's enough negativity around that we don't want to step into that world. But this book, yeah. Waiting for the Storks, you took us in so gently and then you brought about the story without fear or danger and they often say when things are not great you look for the hope and the, the goodness in it and you guide us to that. I'm so appreciative of your writing but what actually inspired you to write stories particularly about the war that had children at the heart of the narrative? Oh, well, that was a bit, a bit of a, an accident or a happy accident, I suppose, for me because it really, really made a shift in my writing career. So I was looking, I'd never, I wasn't not going to write war stories. I was, in fact, looking for a story set in Denmark during the war that I thought was true that didn't, turned out not to be what I was thinking it was. But while I was searching for that, I stumbled across an article in a Danish online newspaper about the Wolfskinder. And, you know, like you do, I didn't know who the Wolfskinder were, so I just read the article and I became fascinated. And so I kept reading more and more about these people who were now known as the Wolfskinder. And so I mentioned it just sort of really offhand to my publisher that I'd, I'd heard about these children who were living in East Prussia at the end of the year, end of the war, um, surviving totally on their own in these situations that had robbed many adults of their life. And I said, isn't this fascinating? What a fascinating story. And my publisher <laughs> um, emailed back and said, yeah, we would love to hear that story idea when you've got it fully developed. <laughs> and I, I had no I sort of, I suppose I sort of thought maybe this is a story I might write one day or I was, but I wasn't really thinking definitely along those terms. So I thought, oh, well, I'd better get, get cracking, hadn't I? And that's when I started really researching in earnest about Wolfskinder and wrote that story, We Are Wolves. Mm. And I just, I loved the process so much. I learnt so much and I had my own way of thinking about a lot of things with history and the war challenged, which is really a good thing, I think. You know, we need to be lifelong learners. We need to be intelligent enough to have open minds Definitely. and change our minds. Absolutely. Um, so I love that process, the learning process for me. And I also really um, love dealing with this really serious topic. I really believe children at that grade five, six age really start to look at the bigger world and really want something a bit meatier. Um, so I love the challenge all round. And then, of course, while I was researching <laughs> about the Wolfskinder, I came across this fascinating article about a little child soldier, Sergei Leshkov, and that inspired my next book. Um, rabbit soldier angel thief and by that stage my publisher said well look you're on a roll we really need to do a trilogy of war stories here I'm glad you did <laughs> she actually um, gave me this article she'd found about the Lebensborn program about these children who were, were stolen by the Nazis and Germanized and I'd never heard of them before and she hadn't before and we said okay this is another great lesser known story to write, and that's that's really where those three war stories came about, sort of a little bit a little bit by chance, really at the beginning. But I've loved it; I just love it, and I'll continue to write um, historical fiction of a more serious nature for that middle grade. And I'm about to embark on on another war story soon, I think. Yeah, as Lynette said, they're fascinating books, and one of the things that we really liked was the fact that you made it so accessible. Language-wise, there, there was nothing too difficult about it in the language that you used yep. to write it, but the characters came alive so easily and, and they were so relatable. And with um, the We Are Wolves and then the Waiting for the Storks, I love the way that you also took a different perspective 
because in We Are Wolves it was the Russians and then in and the and the children from East Prussia who ended up not siding with the Russians but seeing a different side of of the soldiers yeah. and a very similar thing in um, waiting for the storks and I like the way that you did that and you you really have made us all think about the different perspectives or from a different perspective on both sides yeah it, exactly it's really beautiful mm. so thank you yeah, again I think I think they're really important things for kids to sort of explore too that you know I know kids like we all probably like to have things being really stark with good and evil and right and wrong and all that but I mm. I think it's really important to have those gray areas in stories too and those those topics that generate discussion you know about well who's to blame or who's the right one who's mm. the wrong one and for kids exactly. to realize that it's okay to, get to a point where there is no definite answer either and that yeah. we're all you know we've all got these good and bad bits about us and and all nations have good and bad bits um mm. so i really i really like that sort of gray area too in there um yeah. that comes out of it's big stories like war stories Mm. Well, as we said, you know, the, they're obviously needed because the children that we've read them to love them and we love them as adults, so they're obviously yeah. an important oh, story yeah. to tell. Thank you. Um, and you were talking about with uh, the, the first one, We Are Wolves, looking at uh, the research side of things and you obviously do a lot of it. So where do you find your information? Is it through any one or two particular sources or is it? all over like the internet and the libraries and Trove and wherever else? Yeah, well, it's wherever I can find, wherever I can find the information. And I've said that to children I've been talking about, you know, research, you know, historical research. Research is whatever gives you a better understanding of your topic. I think the tricky thing is with, because I've chosen to write about lesser known stories, because for me, they they're the ones that really need to be told and are exciting to tell because perhaps they haven't been told yet for children or not told very much. Um, there's a reason often that those stories are less and lesser told and lesser known, and that's because there is a lesser amount of information out there about them. So that can actually make research quite tricky. It's almost like being a detective in tra tracking down your information and also, you know, creating a jigsaw taking little bits here there and everywhere um the internet of course is just a mighty source i don't know how people wrote a book you know with before the internet they must have taken years to write what maybe takes us 12 months to write now mm. um but the other thing is that you know with the internet the more articles you read and you know you get more references listed at the end of things and eventually when you follow the trail and scrounge around a title of a book or something else will come up, a documentary or something that you can then hunt down. Um, and in these lesser-known um, stories, I often find that the books are older books, like particularly with Waiting for the Storks. My best source material was a book written by some French journalists in the 1970s, I think. So that, of course, was out of print. But there's a lovely, lovely company called Aid Books, which you might have heard about. Yes, I have. And they... Yeah, yeah. So they're great for sourcing out of print books and rare books. I often go to aid books and get books that aren't otherwise available. I'll often look at books in the library or buy books where there'll be snippets about things. I'll watch documentaries. YouTube has an amazing archive of old documentaries. And, you know, sometimes 
the documentary might just give you a background knowledge that's around the topic, but there might be little snippets that actually are really um, viable for your topic. So I just really look anywhere and everywhere in books, internet, documentaries. Um, yeah, I've never, unfortunately, had a first, <laughs> had a primary source there. But, uh, I suppose primary sources don't even, even if you're interviewing someone, it's, someone it's a little bit long, it might be first-hand, but it's not, it's too late after that fact to be primary source anyway, almost. But, um, yeah, yeah, just wherever I can find information. I was just going to say, I even when I was researching for um, Rabbit Soldier Angel's Seat, when I was doing a lot of the, the parts about Stalingrad and then the movement of troops westward, I, I really needed to get my head about what was happening when to be able to I gave all those details in the story, but I didn't want to get it wrong by putting my characters in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I really needed to get an understanding for myself to be able to write on. And I just couldn't get my head around a particular movement of troops after Stalingrad as I moved westwards towards Kiev. And in the end, <laughs> you know, there are all these fabulous amateur historians who make little history videos with cartoons and stuff and it was a lego battle that actually oh. <laughs> a <little> lego arrangement <laughs> that's an animation mm -hmm. oh it was fantastic so it really enabled me to work out okay so this is what was happening with the different armies and groups and stuff and so i always tell children and and adults research is what Whatever you need to do to get a good understanding of your story to feel like you can write it accurately and write it with confidence. I love the sound of that Lego. And because so much of what you would have read, <laughs> I'm going to have to try that, so much of what I've read, you would have read, would have been at an adult level. But you seem to, it must be a natural talent of yours. Absolutely. I don't know if it's you've got a little process, but to take what you've read and then put it in accessible language for children how do you do that? Is it because you have a background as a teacher or is it just naturally something you can do? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I think certainly knowing your audience is really key to getting the language right, isn't it? You know, knowing the children mm -hmm. that you're writing to. And I'm sure having been a teacher and a mother really has helped me a lot in that way. I also do, I think also because I didn't like reading as a kid, I found books really boring and a bit... I found them a bit intense or a bit dry. So I think, too, I also try to write in the way that, you know, I would have liked a, liked a story to have been written at that age. But I think it also helps that um, I narrate my story as the main, like the main character narrates these stories. And so they're telling the story first person, present tense. And so I... I'm imagining myself as that child because I'm writing the story yeah. for them. And so I think um, I really put myself there. I try to empathise. I try to live the journey with that character and imagine what I would have felt like at that age or what my kids would have felt like at that age. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, I suppose, trying to live it, you know, at that age as I write. I find that really helpful I, I find the first person present tense narrator a really immediate emotional um, good thing to do. It also means um, it also means I can navigate my story around the the harsher elements of these events without ignoring them. You know, like if my character can only 
only experience one thing at a time. So something horrendous might be going on over here at the <laughs> in the next room or in the next battlefield, but they don't have to describe it or deal with it because they're dealing with whatever they can see and experience at the moment. Oh, it was does just that, beautiful. It definitely was such. It's just such beautiful mm. writing, um, and historical fiction has such a place in the classroom. Yeah, definitely. Um, when you do that, when you when you do your first drafts, do you actually read them out loud or read them to someone else before you actually... This is a, a throwaway question, by the way, that's come out of this discussion, but do you read them to somebody else or not? I don't read everything out loud to my husband. He was very tolerant, but um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm writing a lot more. I, I can't, but I do often read things out loud. Like even today I'm working on the latest travelling bookshop and I, as I read over what I've just written, I read it out loud because I think that also... And, you know, sometimes if you're reading just in your head, you can skim over things. If you're reading out loud, it, it jars if it's not flowing or if it's an unnatural sounding thing. So definitely reading out loud is a really important part of the process. Mm. And you were mentioning you're working on another travelling bookshop one at the moment. So um, are there any other projects other than this would be travelling bookshop number five? Is that right? Number five. I'm just about on a chapter of the travelling bookshop number five. <laughs> I have another historical novel coming out at the end of the year. Um, it's finished. It, it's been finished since the start of the year, but it's uh, we'll be going to copy editing with that soon. It's called Silver Linings, I think. I think that's the final name we've settled on. <laughs> and it's actually set in rural Australia in nineteen in nineteen fifty. Um, so it's actually you know, closer to home and it's a story really about community and family and what happens in one particular family when they experience a loss. It's just about the unravelling and, and what happens in that family and that community as a result of a, a sad situation. So for children still, of course, for the same age group, middle grade. But then I'm also going to, um, next month, I'll be starting research on a new wartime story that I've got planned um, that I... I won't tell you about because goodness knows how it will change between, <laughs> between now and when it has to be written. But yeah, there are more war stories in the pipeline as well and a couple more travelling bookshops as well. well oh, and a picture book. I've got a picture book that I'm starting to work on too. <laughs> oh, fabulous. We certainly hope there's more coming because we do. We love the writing. So, yeah, keep them coming. I love the sound <laughs> of the Australian one. I, I just yeah. love Australian historical fiction. I just... It's a passion. And I'm just wondering, because yeah. you're a country girl, aren't you? Yeah. Like me. Uh, so, yeah. 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 So I'm just wondering, is there some, uh, like, personal experience or is that one of the reasons why you wanted to write it, because you grew up in a small country town? Uh, it's, actually, it's actually inspired by my grandmother's story and my mother's upbringing. So it's it's set in, in the north coast of New South Wales, around that Lismore area on a dairy farm and in a small community and it's actually heavily inspired by something that happened in my in my grandmother's family um, that I've always wanted to write about. It's just yeah um, something was really traumatic at the time and de you know things were dealt with differently in those days. Also in the story I deal with you know other things happening in the 50s like the coronation of Queen Elizabeth and, and men were coming home from war and people struggling with the aftermath of that as well um but I'll, I'll 
speak a little bit more about that closer to the release date so I don't confuse people and confuse myself. <laughs> oh, well, you've just got us so excited now. We're going to be waiting for that. <laughs> we, we are so appreciative of your time today and um, I just fell in love with your writing with Waiting for the Storks and now I'm backtracking, going back through all the other stories. So hopefully our listeners today will find the same um, love and passion for you, that you have obviously put into your writing that we can all embrace it and we're just excited for you for the future as well. Thank you so much for today and sharing, sharing your time with me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much, Katrina. Thank you.